Okay, did you hear my assistant? Yes, I did. We did. Okay, good. She's naked tonight. All right. <laughs> so, so we're gonna be so we're gonna get into dead air, and um, and so uh, you know we'll just I'm just gonna softball the first question to you, and then Jeff and I are just kind of bouncing back and forth and whatnot. And yeah, you can talk as long as you want. You don't have to worry about what you say. Uh, you can say anything you want, no problem. I normally do. Jeff Jeff kind of tells me not to, and um, we'll just go from there. We try. We try. You know, I can't help myself. So we're just going to do a moment of silence so I know where to start to uh, splice the tape up, and then we're going to rock and roll, all right? You ready? Yep, I'm ready. But you want to know what's exciting, Jeff? This is the one guest where I do not have to ask how to pronounce their last name. Got this one down. Oh, you're still going to screw it up, though. (laughs) I know, I still might screw it up. I'll call you like Bradley. So, okay. All right, everybody, here we go. Moment of silence, and we're going. Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of Beyond the Cover. I am your host, John Robb, here, joined by my awfully wonderful co-host, Jeff Ayers. Jeff, how are you doing? Doing great. Um, hope you're doing well also. We are doing fabulous over here. Los Angeles is great weather. We're starting to turn the corner, getting into a little May gray, but don't mind the clouds in the morning. It's really quite nice. I love that marine layer. So, and I know you guys like that up in Seattle. You know, you guys, oh, that's, absolutely. Your, yeah. that's your middle name, Seattle Marine Layer Washington is kind of how the whole city was named. <laughs> you just had to cut off the Marine Layer part. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much. Exactly. So let me remind everybody that all of our shows are brought to you by Suspense Magazine. So visit suspensemagazine.com for more information. And also don't forget our anthology, Nothing Good Happens After Midnight with Jeffrey Deaver, along with uh, Linwood Barkley and Reese Bone and Heather Graham, John Lasquois, and many others. So check that out, PW Star Review. We have a fabulous guest tonight. For the first time, we are going to be speaking here in a second with author Michael Bradley. He's going to be talking about his book, Dead Air. And Jeff, you got a funny little story real quick. How did um, Michael approach you to kind of get on the show? Well, he, um, I had recorded a wonderful session with him and David Morrell, which is going to be part of Extreme Craft Fest for this year's Virtual Thriller Fest. And then um, I... He emailed me and said, oh, wait, you do that show. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You're one of our three listeners. This is yep. pretty cool. So, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, so, but real quick, because you mentioned CrowdFest, is there anything that you want to say about Thriller Fest um, on the air here real quick? Um, I will say that uh, we have recorded um, authors having conversations. So it's like, say, you and I would have a conversation about something. Um, and we've done over 100 sessions. We have over 200 authors. Nice. And um, we have some amazing experts as well. And some of the sessions we have, you know, are like co-writing with Doug Preston and Lincoln Child. Uh, our upcoming guest here uh, talked about dialogue with David Morrell. Okay. Um, I just recorded a session about uh, editing with Kevin O'Brien and Andr- Andrea J. Johnson. Okay, and Kevin and O'Brien I, in our anthology, just to let everybody know. Exactly, and even mentioned the anthology. Uh-huh. And um, I just did a session also with um, two editors, Ben Severe, who's the head editor at Grand Central Publishing, and Jason oh, wow. Kaufman, who's an editor at Doubleday and edits Dan Brown, among other people. So um, got a lot of it stuff was, happening. It's, it's, it's an amazing program and definitely worth the price for all the various sessions and the topics they're talking about. And they're all in their 
by topic, so you can look and see yeah. what everybody's talking about. It's it's absolutely amazing the stuff I've been learning. I've I've got a notepad by my desk, and I'm just nice. scribbling notes like mad when I'm listening to them. Yeah. So real so real quick, are these available on demand? If people didn't sign up for Crowdfest, are they able to still listen to them maybe on demand later? And where yes, would they absolutely. go? Absolutely. Um, well, what will happen is they'll get a link, and then they'll have access to the videos as they're posted, and then they'll have access to those videos for a solid almost year until the oh, next wow. Thriller Fest next year. Beautiful. So it's definitely worth it. And where would they go to find out? Is that thrillerfest.org? Uh, thrillerfest.com, yes. Oh, thrillerfest.com. Why do I say org? Yes. Because mm-hmm. uh, it's thrillerwriters.org. Oh, that's what, okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. Yep, yeah. Yep, good. So, yeah, definitely well, check it out. It's definitely worth it. Fun, nice. So let's jump in here to our guest. Again, he is author Michael Bradley. His latest book is Dead Air, and he was just on Craft Fest with Jeff. So, Michael, thanks so much for coming on tonight. How are you doing? Well, I'm looking forward to it. Thank you so much for having me. I'm, I'm really excited. Uh, you know, I will say, uh, just to, to add to what Jeff, has, Jeff said, um, you know, the session I did with David Morrell was fan- fantastic. I felt really honored to, to be talking to him about dialogue. I kind of felt very out of, um, out of my depth with someone of such stature. Uh-huh. Um, but if you've never been to, to Thriller Fest or Craft Fest, you know, this is definitely worth it, um, particularly considering that, you know, it's all virtual and you can do it in your own time. Um, the one thing about Craft Fest when you're there is there's so many sessions going on at the same time, and it's hard to keep to get to all the ones you want to go to. So having it all virtual is just fantastic this year. But uh, so what I love what I love about Craft Fest is when I get to play with the beads and put them on the string. That's my favorite. Oh, yeah, his craft. session's pretty boring, Michael. <laughs> yeah, wrong yeah, craft. Hey, but you know, we do, we do do, we do have a lot of fun jokes on that, though. When we do that, though. But yeah, okay. So, Michael, so your book, Dead Air, um, it's a standalone. So, tell us what you got going on in this thing. So, Dead Air is uh, focuses on a uh, radio DJ named Caitlin Ash, who's uh, just hit the pinnacle of her career in the city of Philadelphia. Um, but Caitlin, you know, she's got this almost idyllic life. She's got a, a, a really great boyfriend. She's got a, gr- some, a great group of friends. Her career's going really well. But she has been running from this little secret in her past for many, many years. And suddenly she starts receiving these anonymous letters at the radio station alluding to the fact that someone else knows her secret. And the letters start to get a little more threatening. Um, and she starts to get really scared. She's afraid, obviously. And as the, thre- the threats escalate and become more murderous, things just go straight to hell for her. Um, and so, you know, the whole thing kind of leads up to this big reunion that she really never wanted to go to at this place from her childhood called The Shallows. Um, maybe we'll talk about what The Shallows are a little bit later, but um, it's a pretty interesting, you know, it's a really exciting book. Um, it's, it's up for two awards. Uh, as a matter of fact, uh, I'll find out tomorrow night if I won uh, the, the um, IBPA's um, Benjamin Franklin Award for the audiobook. Oh, congratulations. And, uh, <laughs> don't congratulate me yet. <laughs> well, <it's> even <laughs> being nominated tomorrow. is still a great <laughs> honor, even if you don't exactly. win. And it, you know. it's also up for the for, forward, uh, forward Indie um, Book of the Year Awards. Uh, that won't get announced until June. 
but for the suspense category. So I really felt uh, pretty honored to be in that too. So yeah, that's incredible. Good job. Oh, that is it's fantastic. Um, so my understanding from your background is you used to be a DJ, and so I'm yes. wondering if um, how your background in that played into Dead Air. And then I also wanted to ask you real fast, um, and I'm trying to remember the movie, uh, play Misty for me. Mm-hmm. Was, yeah. was there yeah. elements of that in play in this novel as well? Um, so, the, so to start with, um, my background obviously did play a little bit, of, a little bit of a role in here. Now, granted, I never had anybody try to threaten me or kill me when I'm in broadcasting, but um, I was in broadcasting for a little over eight years doing small radio stations uh, here and there. And, um, you know, although there isn't any any major personal pieces in the plot, there is um, a couple anecdotal things in here. So, for instance, there is a mention in one of the – there's a passing mention in one of the chapters about – the uh, the overnight guy at the radio station where my character Caitlin works having uh, a nocturnal visitor um, of the female persuasion and how the morning DJ came in one morning and found her running down the hall naked trying to just get away from him um, and that actually happened to me so <laughs> wait a second whoa 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 <laughs> so hold on so you're the morning DJ. Or are you the are well, you the night so, DJ? So I was so I was actually um, I, I was coming back to the radio station late one night after a um, a live broadcast, and I decided okay. to stop in and see the night DJ, uh, just to okay. say hi. And um, I came in the came in the front door of the, the office, came around the hallway, and was met by a pair of naked butt cheeks running away around the corner towards the bathrooms. So I, I ended up sliding. Sliding that little element into the, I mean, it's just a passing. Mention, was this the '80s or the '90s or when was this it? This was the nine. This was the '90s. Okay, so when DJs so, still yeah. had, when when DJs were still important. Yeah, yeah, we still yeah. had CDs and all that sort of thing. Yeah, yeah, because yeah, DJs nowadays are not important at all. Like because terrestrial radio means nothing. I mean, it's all streaming and mm-hmm. their satellite and whatnot. So, but back in the '90s, DJs still had some pull. So he probably oh, yeah. still had some groupies. Did you ever find out who that girl was? No, I kind of avoided the topic. Uh, he seemed a bit embarrassed. Why would I you do? Make any oh, okay. So was, I, I was just going to ask, was the DJ a guy or a girl? Because if it was a girl and you avoided the topic, I'd be like, dude, what are you doing? <laughs> no, I, I kind of walked in and he just kind of like, I, I don't, um, hey, how are you? Um, just, yeah. you know, he acted yeah. like there was nothing going on. And I'm like, all right, I'm just. Yeah. <laughs> He's sitting there going, I'm just playing the whole side of Rush 2112. Just relax. <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> and we're working on the 8-minute, the eight 32-second version of American Pie. Don't worry about it. Yeah, that. yeah, 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 yeah. Just relax. So for Jeff's second part of the question, um, you know, the idea of a stalker, you know, I think I remember seeing Play Misty for me about 10 years ago, um, long before I started thinking about, thinking about even writing, or actually probably more like 15. Um, and so there's, you know, there, obviously in that there's a, you know, there's a, a stalker. I've never the seen the movie. DJ gets in, yeah. Um, so there's, a, there's a, somebody that a radio DJ gets involved with who 
um, ends up stalking um, Clint Eastwood is, is the radio DJ in that. Um, so, you know, Jessica the, the, Walter the, the kind was of the, the woman. Oh, oh, was she? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, you know, the idea of a stalker for radio, radio people has been around for, for a long time. Um, you know, there's been actually some tragedies as well. There was a, a radio DJ who was actually killed um, back in the 80s. He was a shock jock. Uh, he was killed by some uh, some fans. Um, I remember so that, that kind of thing is floating has been floating around for for a long time. Yeah. Um, so. so now, were you a big fan of like Howard Stern's and people like that? Was that kind of in a thing or no? Well, so you know, Howard Stern was um, was on the air in Philadelphia when I was growing up. I grew up in New Jersey, so I was right across the river from Philly, and and so he was on the air this is before he was on satellite and right. uh, so i grew up with howard stern um doing the airwaves in the mornings so um, it was, in the was like 95 not, yeah that 95 station in new york yeah. or something he was on yeah mm-hmm. yeah and so i was a, I was a i would listen to him occasionally but i was much more of a music fan than talk radio so mm-hmm. i was you know usually more listening to you know the top 40 stations and that sort of thing in philly yeah. than i was howard stern but, you know, I mean, anybody who's in broadcasting would love to have that level of celebrity uh, that Howard Stern had. Maybe not necessarily the same way that he got it, but, you know, there's, there's always that, wow, I wish I was, you know, way up there. So, you know, where so, people are filing com- complaints with the FCC and you're not getting fired for it. So. Yeah. So, so in the book here, so you have Caitlin and you have Detective Rodney Shapiro when you were kind of cultivating and crafting this story, did you know what kind of relationship you kind of wanted these characters to have, or were you kind of surprised with the relationship they kind of have now as you finish the book? So that's kind of a funny story because I knew I had some inkling of it, um, at least from early on. They kind of have a – you know, there's almost a, uh, a father-daughter relationship at first in the book where, you know, I don't want to give too much away, but, you know, he, he sees in her what his daughter might have been. Um, and then that relationship kind of morphs a little bit as the, the book goes along. And that piece of it, the morphing of that relationship was a bit of a surprise. Um, I do plot out a little bit my books. But my chapters or my chapter plot lines are usually well not plot lines but my outlines are usually maybe a sentence for each chapter. You know, Caitlin does this. You know, Rodney does that. So a lot of what I'm writing as I go, I have a general idea of where I'm headed, but I don't necessarily know how things are going to evolve. So when things start to to shift a little bit, when things start to evolve a little bit, that usually is a surprise to me. Gotcha. Um. Let's talk about your other two books, because um, one of them is uh, Sirens in the Night, and um, that one has the radio DJs, one of your characters. But then uh, Follow You Down actually is more of a legal thriller, based on from what I've seen. So um, talk a bit about that, those two books. So uh, Sirens in the Night, um, obviously my radio stuff played into that as well. Um, but in that book, it, it was more of a super. It's more of a supernatural thriller. I, I had some had a, a concept idea in my head about 
Greek mythology, and I thought about maybe placing some of those myths into more of a, the real world, a modern-day world. And uh, so I started to kind of put those pieces together and start coming up with a – and Sirens of the Night, the funny thing is about Sirens of the Night is that actually started out as a, a short story that I wrote uh, several years ago. It was actually set in 1918. Um, and it was just a very short story, and when I got done, I just thought it was horrible. Uh, but the concept of the Greek mythology in more of a modern-day setting kind of stuck with me. Uh, so I ended up revamping everything. Total, I mean, there's the, the only thing that's really left from the short story that's in the, new, in the book is well, the myth mythological creature, and that's pretty much it. Um, everything else was, you know, all new, moved it into a, you know, modern day Philadelphia setting, you know, mm -hmm. created all new characters that were working, you know, working, you know, as my protagonists and then, you know, the antagonists were these mythological creatures. And, um, it just kind of evolved from there. Uh, the radio piece of it was really just backdrop. I needed a, a good career for the, for the, one of my protagonists and that just seemed to be, to fit really well. Uh, particularly with the scenarios and the way that I needed the, the whole plot to go from, you know, from point A to point B. I needed someone that had that flexibility of working like the overnight shift and he could be out in the door in the day um, and he could be around in crowds. So that just seemed to work really well into that. Um, but, you know, like I said, all this kind of just, that all just came out of a short story that I wrote that was just absolutely horrible <laughs> 15 years ago. So, what, kind of, what part of Greek mythology did you, did you incorporate? Because I'm a huge Greek mythology person. I love Greek and Roman so, mythology. So I took the um, – it's right there, in the, right there in the title. I took the sirens. The um, sirens, yeah. And, um, and morphed them. Now, I, I took a lot of uh, literary license with them and changed a couple of the – you know, the, their core is, you know, still there. They, they're able to, you know, attract men and, you know – manipulate men and that sort of thing. Uh, but I made them a lot more powerful, um, gave them some additional, you know, abilities as well as made them much more deadly. Um, okay. There's, there's, there's kind of some different myth, myths around the sirens. Some of them were that the sirens would just lure the, you know, the sailors onto the, to the rocks of their right. island so they would die in the boat wreck. But there was a couple myths as well that, had the sirens actually feeding off those men. Um, I, think, so, I think Homer had written something about that in the Odyssey, if I remember right. Yeah, and I kind of took, took a little bit of, from all these different myths about the sirens and kind of pulled them together right. and created these, these uh, odd creatures that actually in the book took on Ben Franklin many, many years ago too. So uh, I got to have a little bit of history, history built into it as well. So, nice. And then follow you down. And, and you, and to follow you down, um, it, it's, it's more of a, psycho, a dark psychological thriller. There's not a lot of legal pieces into it. The main character just happens to be a New York defense attorney who is, for lack of a better term, just a real jerk. He's a bully. He's um, you know, a nasty piece of work. He was throughout his whole um, childhood um, and into his legal practice in New York. Um, he's ruthless in, in the courtroom as well as in life. And um, he goes out on this um, reunion with his five best friends from high school. And they go to back to this old summer camp where they used to um, be counselors on the su in the summers. 
Um, and while they're there, uh, Neil starts to, Neil, who's the protagonist, the lawyer, he starts to hear voices and starts seeing things that he can't explain. Um, and then eventually it kind of leads, his mind starts to crumble when he's confronted with his past. You know, think something he did in the past starts, it comes forward. The whole tagline for the book is basically that the sins of the past will return to haunt you. And that's exactly what happens in the book is something he did many, many years ago in the summer camp um, ends up coming back to haunt him that when he's out of this reunion in the middle of the Pine Barrens of New Jersey. Wow. Um, well, three, three books that you've written so far and three distinctly different stories yeah. and stuff. <laughs> distinctly what, different. Yeah. What, what's prompted you to want to start writing in the first place? So I did, uh, I did a lot of creative writing when I was in high school. And, um, and, I, and I found a lot of my writing actually a couple of years ago in, some, in a, an old lockbox that I have here at the house and realized how terrible I was back then. I had no idea about dialogue, didn't know anything about description, didn't know anything about, you know, Point of plot view. Lines. Yeah, yeah, you know. I put all, you know, all the people in the, in the stories were all my friends. I was the hero in every one of them. And not to get creepy, but it was always the girl that I had a crush on. It was the love interest of the hero in all the books, or all the stories. Nice. Um, yeah, so. Now, how many came true? But it was, <laughs> yeah, none of them. Oh. <laughs> Absolutely none of them. Damn it. Uh, I was rooting yeah, for you, man. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and I, you know, so I did a lot of writing when I was in high school, and I kind of dropped off doing it when I got into broadcasting. Um, because that, that took up a lot of energy, you know, creative energy. And um, so I kind of didn't do any writing for maybe 15 or 20 years. Okay. And then I picked it up again and started uh, writing a couple short stories. I wrote a, a couple short stories, a series of short stories about like a noir style um, detective kind of in the Sam Spade, you know, uh, Raymond Chandler type vein. Um, which never really went anywhere, but it was a good experience to start, you know, getting back into writing. Wrote a couple other uh, novellas that I had worked on, um, and then Sirens of the Night came along. I got the idea for it and just started to to, to build that from there, and it ended up being my breakthrough novel. So, You know, you know what I thought you were going to say? I thought you were going to say that your first bit of writing when you came back was to penthouse letters about a DJ that comes in and catches the other DJ and they end up having a threesome. And you can... <laughs> I thought you were going to go with that. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's, I, you know, it's funny. You know, my broadcasting career, I've got a lot of stories. And, oh, I'm sure you, know, you I do. Always, I, always, I always keep talking about how someday I should sit down and do a tell-all book. Um, well, I, you know, I the one thing, do. too, the one thing between your three books, I mean, you kind of, all three of them have like a little of a darker style. You could do one that's a little more comedic with some <laughs> things and make it a little more lighthearted um, that way, too. Yeah, yeah, I could. Yeah, yeah, I could. Yeah. But the one thing that all three of your books do have in common, and I'm going to ask this question because Jeff didn't. And Jeff normally does. So we're going to shake this up. But we love to figure out because normally you, we have a lot of – most of our authors that we kind of have on write series. You write all standalones. So we always kind of debate the series standalone question. I will say that I'm more of a standalone guy. I'm kind of in your corner. 
and Jeff is more of a series guy. And I always say I'm not anti-series. I'm just anti-series that go on with no end in sight. And the back of the book is like, this is the most diabolical villain they've ever faced. And I'm like, you just said that in the last book. Like, you need new material. So I kind of get a little bored with that. So our question is, why not a series? Why have you done three standalones? Well, so I, I hate to, to break this to you, but the book I'm working on right now is going to be comes. the first of a series. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yep. It's going to be the first of a series. Um, now, okay, okay. Then why three standalones and why series now? Like, what prompts you to do a series now? Why not another standalone? For, for me, well, so I, what I will say is I have other standalone ideas. In, yeah, I, you know, I have a, a whole list of ideas that I put together. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, some of them are just like a one-line, hey, here's a great idea. And some of them are a little more detailed. Um, some of them are standalone. Some of them are ideas for the, for the series. Um, I don't particularly care either way. Um, it just so happened the first three ideas that, that came out that really meant something ended up being standalones. Now, the new series that I'm working on is, is probably going to be a little different than what people usually think about when they say series because my series is going to be more ge- geographically based with an ensemble cast, and the idea is that every book is going to focus on a different member of that ensemble. Um, so it's not going to be, hey, here's you know, yet another book about you know, this guy. And, you know, it's going to be a little different with the ensemble cast popping in and popping out um, but it's going to be more geographically based. Gotcha. Uh, you you remind yeah. me of Sigma Force, which Jim Rollins does, which you know has the big group of characters, and um, it always focuses on different folks in each one. Yeah, uh, you know, and I, you know, for me, I'm I'm kind of the same way to a certain degree with series. It's like a, a, after a while when you get to know the same character over and over again, sometimes you do get a little tired of it. Um, so that was kind of why I, I wanted to do a series that more, more focused on a group, and then each one of them gets a chance in the spotlight so that I can focus on one versus always focusing on, on, on the same person over and over again, because eventually you run out of things to say about, to reveal about this particular character. I mean, I guess the one thing that I'll say, too, is I thought that what J.K. Rowling did was great, was because you knew seven books. She was going to have boom, boom, done. And I think that if an author is like, you know what, I'm going to tell a certain part of this character's life, and that's all you're going to hear, and the series is over. Like, you're going to hear 10 years. I'm going to do, you know, 10 years of them, and then that's it. Whatever happens at the end of 10 years, I guess you'll find out. But it's just the ones where it continually goes, and you're like, wait a second. At this point, you've got to be like 80 flipping years old, and (laughs) what are you still doing? Like, uh, you know what I mean? It's like they – but then if you're supposed to suspend disbelief and figure out that they haven't really aged that long or whatnot, well, then it just becomes more like a, like a comic book where you can just yeah. kind of do whatever you want. Like Bart Simpson's always in the same classroom. You know, Lisa's in the same grade, and they've done 25 seasons. So, yeah. who, somebody who did that really well was, um, and, I, and I love her books, is uh, the late P.D. P. James in her Adam Dalgleish series uh, because she started that – um, decades ago, um, but she started her, her detective out at the very beginning of his career, and by the time you got to the end of the book series, 
you know, he was, you know, had risen up inside Scotland Yard and he was at this, you know, the pinnacle of his career. So you actually got to see him as he goes through his promotions and he gets older and moves on and, you know, starts to lead a new team and things like that. She did I that mean, really shit. well. Cause Even Doyle wanted to kill Holmes. He wanted to get rid of Sherlock Holmes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> True. I mean, so if you're talking that one of the most iconic characters, besides maybe Hercule Poirot, and you're talking detective mysteries, and uh, and he even the author is like, no, it's time for him to die. That should tell. It's like it's time. There's it's over. There's no more. How many times can I do this? Yeah, <laughs> you know. Well, and that's and that's part of the reason. So you know, I'm starting this book. I'm working on this book. I'm actually four chapters away from being done, and I got to say, they're the hardest four chapters I have ever written. They're taking forever to be completed. Um, yeah, really nice. Yeah. Um, so, no, that's good. That's good to get you because that's what keeps you motivated. That's keeps uh, that would keep me motivated hard because I would always be thinking about it. Yeah, but but you know it's that's one of the reasons that you know I'm got, I got this this first book of the series and I might right now I'm planning to do a second book of this series, but I've got a couple standalones that I really would like to get okay. into as well. So I will probably flip back and forth. Just so a little of the Harlan Coben technique, little series here, yeah. little standalone there. Okay. Yeah, because I get, cool. I get I get ideas that I, I get ideas that I really would like to, to toy with and really would like to play with, but it just doesn't seem like it's the right time gotcha. when I try to, to work on them. And so I'll set them aside, you know, work on what what comes to me, get that done, and then move on to the you know maybe go back to it and revisit it. And, and I've got several ideas that I would love to to get into, but right now it's it's the first of the series that's you know got my attention. So gotcha. <laughs> Well, um, you mentioned this earlier, so I thought I would ask, uh, since we're getting close to time here, uh, you wanted to talk about The Shallows. Yes. Good call. Uh, yeah. I almost forgot. I almost forgot. So, yeah, so, so Caitlin in, the, in Dead Air has this place that she calls, this place called The Shallows that is part of her little secret. Um, the Shallows actually kind of exist. Um, it was one of the it was one of the things that uh, inspired the book Dead Air for me. So the Shallows is a small lake. In, in the book, it's a small lake on a farm in New Jersey, southern New Jersey, uh, isolated at the very end of the farm. Dark waters, you know, the whole sinister, suspenseful sort of thing, um, where something happened that's you know in, in her childhood. Uh, I don't want to give too much away, but, you know, the funny thing is that that actually, that lake actually exists. It's not called the Shallows, but it's on a farm. It's exactly the way I describe it in the book. You can drive up the interstate in New Jersey and see it from the road. What part um, of Jersey? I have, family, I have family in Freehold and Millstone Township. Uh, just, up, just outside of Woolwich Township. So it's down in southern New Jersey. Exit. Okay, yeah. Because yeah. I know when you mentioned the Pines, I'm like, oh, yeah, I remember – Driving down from Freehold down the the um, Parkway through the Pines, going to Atlantic City. That was great. I love that. Yeah, time. pretty. Yeah, and so so this little lake is. You know, I drove past it day in and day out for a long time, and would see it, and kept thinking, you know, something had to happen there. Something had to happen there. So I kind of kept that in the back of my head for for years and years and years uh, because it just looked so perfect for for some kind of bad thing to happen. Um, and then, you know, the second inspiration for the book, which was uh, the song Ario, uh, Can't Fight This Feeling by Ario Speedwagon, came into my head. Um, nice. I started putting those two together. What's that? 
little Ario Speedwagon. We've never had an Ario Speedwagon yeah. on the show before. So, so I'll give you a little hint, okay? You can't fight the feeling. Can't fight. Can't fight. Can't fight this feeling um, anymore. It sounds like a love song from the '80s, but if you really listen to the lyrics, it's about a stalker. Yes. Yes. Yeah. It is. Yeah. You know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. You can tune a piano, uh, I, but you can't tune a fish. Yeah. But and if that's you one listen of to those lyrics, but, yeah. If you listen to those lyrics, you know, they talk about, you know, he talks about, you know, watching her from a distance and mm-hmm. watching her through the window, and then he gets a little breaking and entering going when he comes crashing through her door. Yeah. You know, it's and that popped into my head, and I know that everybody that went to high school in the '80s is going to be furious because I've just ruined all of their proms. But, well, if it wasn't already ruined with every breath you take, I don't know what it was because that flipping song is played at weddings. You know, yeah. and it's well, like the, the other thing one laughs is all the time about that. that. You can't change that by Ray Parker Jr. and radio. You can change your telephone number. You can change your address too, but that can't stop me from loving you. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, um, uh-huh. Yeah. Uh-huh. I mean, well, you, go, you know, well, Benny, Benny Mardoon's. I mean, his classic. Into the night. Yeah, mm-hmm. he just passed away not too long ago. But yeah, and his, yeah, come on. I mean, yeah, Creepers <laughs> in the 80s, man, but damn, those were all good songs. They, they were, yeah. They, they were, were all they good were. songs. <laughs> but, but we never I, realized, I you never, you never, I, I never realized it until like a few years ago when it came on the radio and I'm listening to the lyrics, paying attention to them for once. And I'm going, man, that's really creepy. <laughs> We just found that out on a Thompson's Twin song. There's a really? Thompson's what? Twin song that when you listen to it, we just heard the lyrics of it. And it was like, and my wife said to and she goes, wait a second. She goes, listen to the lyrics. And it was literally like the guy basically telling the girl, I don't know where you think you're going, but you ain't going nowhere. And she's like, I'm going to break free. She, he's like, uh-uh. And it was one of those songs that you never even thought of. And I, I kind of give him what it is, but... I forget the name of it now, but it's a really famous Thompson twin song. And you're like, holy shit, that's exactly what he's saying. (laughs) (laughs) You didn't even think about it back then. Yeah, it was hilarious. That just hit us. This this conversation is ruining my 80s. It really is. (laughs) (laughs) No, the 80s was the great. I mean, musical-wise, the the 80s is the greatest, man. I'm a 70s and 80s guy. That's all I listen to. Hard rock, heavy metal from the 70s and the 80s. That's me. That's what I listen to. Um, and I'm top 40 yeah, I, 70s and 80s. And he's top 40. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm more top 40 80s. I'm more I, top 40 I, but 80s. I love top 40. But funny thing is, is I'm sitting there, and back in the day, I'm listening to Megadeth and Iron Maiden, Metallica. I still listen to them today. But I would never listen to, like, Madonna, Paula Abdul, or whatnot. But I'm driving down the road, and I'm listening to the 80s on 8, and Paula Abdul comes on, you know, straight up. I know every fucking lyric. Why do I know... <laughs> The entire song. <laughs> and I'm not changing it because I'm singing it. And I'm like, what is the matter with me? But, the, but it was funny because back then it was like, oh, my God, what a cheeky song. But then, and I, I'm the old guy at the bar, sorry. But then the crap that they have out today, I'm going, no, no, no. You give me Paula Abdul all day. I'll listen to her. You give me Belinda Carlisle, Heaven on Earth. I want the Go-Go's. I want them all, man. I want Nelson. I want George Michael. Give them to me all. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I just, I just, so I just read an article in The Guardian just last week where they they were interviewing one of the the, the lead singer of the Bengals. 
the Bengals. Oh, and yeah, she was, Susanna she was, Hoff. Susanna Hoff. She, yeah, yeah, she was talking about how when she, when she recorded the lyrics for The Eternal Flame, she did it naked in the studio. And I'm like, well, I've got to start writing like that. <laughs> okay, you want you want to do a geeky moment with the Bengals? I'm going to give you two geeky moments with the Bengals. This is how geeky I am. So that song you just brought up was the song that broke them up, because that was the yeah. first song that the Bengals sang where only Susanna Hoffs had a lead vocal. Well, wow. and so that's the song that broke them up pretty much, because that's the one where they pushed her into the front, the record company, and said she's now the leader. But the other thing is, do you guys know who wrote their hit Manic Monday? That was Prince. There you go. Very good, Prince. Wow. Wow. Yeah, um, she's married to that. director Jay Roach, the guy who did yeah. like the Austin Powers movies. Wow. Yeah. Um, I, I saw them live um, during, during their last tour when they finally reunited, which was kind of nice. Anyway. Well they're, yes. well, they're back together again, except the bass player left again. That Michelle girl yes. left. She, she's out. She's, mm-hmm. I think she's finally done. But, yeah. Yeah. See – Man, walk like an Egyptian rocked. I mean, yes, it, it was, does. It was weird back then, and you, I mean, I wasn't listening to that stuff that much, but I know every lyric, like all of them. I don't know, and I, I go, it must have just got into my brain somehow. I, I love well, how I mean, we I mean, like, from the shallows here, man. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> you know? But Jersey, I mean, Bon Jovi, I mean, you know, all those guys. Yeah. The boss. You know, I could talk music for a long time, too. I'm a huge music person. I am. Love music. And I love listening. And, you know, so, okay, but I'm going to ask you this. Uh, as a DJ, were you, and, what, and you were a DJ in the 90s, right? So yeah. were you yeah. guys ever pressured by, you know, record companies to play certain things? Or was it your program director that pretty much said, this is what you're doing? You really didn't have a lot of say to play what you wanted to do. How did it, you know, how was it for you? Yeah, so it usually, usually the program director um, basically put together the playlist, and we stuck to that for the most part, um, just the Did way you ever we, have you know, the it was spelled out for dedication? Oh, yeah, absolutely. You know, we have the dedication stuff. Uh, matter of fact, um, Request line. Yeah, Caitlin, as a matter of fact, Caitlin does, um, Caitlin does a 10 o'clock request hour that um, one of the go. DJs that I used to work with used to, you know, used to do where he just – at 10 o'clock, he'd play this one love song, and he would just have this long list of dedications that go with it. Um, okay. And Caitlin does that. And she, she even has the, um, on Friday nights, she would do the, um, the anti-dedication song. So it's basically something like Joan Jett's, you know, I Hate Myself for Loving You. And or you a lot of more that. Or, yeah, Mary yeah, yeah. yeah. So that's, that, was, that came from uh, a radio DJ that I knew uh, who was working at the station I was at as well. He did that on Friday nights. So... Huh. Nice. Wow. Oh, and so Alanis Morissette. What was that name of her song? That really big one. You want to know? Can I get a little pill? Yeah, but do you know who she wrote that about? The really the the guy. No. You don't know Jeff? I don't. Uh, it was the guy who played um, on Full House. Uh, the brother, not John Stamos, not Bob Skag, but the other dude, the uncle, the other guy. Oh, um, oh, oh, what's his name? I David, I think. I picture his face. Yeah, David Gulag. Yeah, it was about, yeah, it was about him. She, it. Was, she was dating him, and then they broke up, and then she wrote the song. Oh, wow. wow. No, it was about him. And I don't know about – the one thing I've, I'm always curious, too, is the whole um, – oh, 
You're So Vain by Carly Simon. Because there's some people out there that say it's one person, and there's some people that say it's three different people. If you listen to the verses, it's three actual different people. But I don't know. She ain't, she ain't saying. I, I guess so she told one person, but it was an auction item. That yeah, 75 grand or something, and he can't say. Yeah, Everybody thinks well. it's Warren Beatty. Yeah. I, I don't know. Mm. Anyway. Um. <laughs> so, Michael, so where's the best place for everyone to find out about all of your work? Is it simply going to your website, mbradleyonline.com? That's the best place to find all you know, the three books that are out there and keep up on you know, the news, uh, whatever's going on with me. I've got a blog where I do I post author interviews as well as reviews of books that I've read. Um, I'm also out on social media. You can find me on Twitter at AdamJBradley88. Cool. Um, which so social media do you use well. the most? Do you use Twitter the most? Uh, so I am on, you know, I'm on Instagram and Facebook, but Twitter seems to be where I, I end up doing most of the stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, just, you know, that's more, I, I kind of like the ability to just drop a quick, quick little comment out there. Um, so I, I'm posting much more on Twitter than I am anywhere else right now. So, Gotcha. Oh, very cool. Cool. Well, again, the book is Dead Air, everybody. The author is Michael Bradley. So, Michael, we want to thank you so much for coming on tonight. And congratulations. Good luck on the award. Hopefully you get it. Um, so, way to go, man. We are, Thank you so much for coming on. No, thank you so much for having me. This has been a blast. I really, really have enjoyed it. All right. Thank you so much. So, we'll much. talk to you soon. Congratulations, again. Cool. Congratulations and good luck. Thanks. All right.